night was one of our best praise and prayer nights we've had. Somebody left their journal. Okay, I have not read it, I promise. That's you? Great. I only read the first half, all the bad things you said about Pastor Mark. (laughs) And thank you for all the wonderful things you said about me. Yeah, yeah. You kept getting me and Jesus confused, but I understand. Smile, Mr. Sims. That was funny. Okay, so. So we just finished the 30 for 30, which is everybody committing to pray for 30 minutes a day for 30 days. Because the prayer level in your life and in a church's life, in the kingdom of God's life, determines the amount and the measure of heaven on earth. So when you and I aren't people of prayer, we are limited to our own resources rather than unlocking and unleashing the resources of heaven. That's the key to prayer. And that's proved out biblically uh, as well experientially since the world began. Prayer is hard because our flesh hates it, but it is the key to an abundant life. And so I do these 30 for 30s to kind of try to jumpstart your prayer engine because I know prayer is difficult on us. Um, And then we culminate it with a prayer and praise night, which is two hours of nothing but prayer and praise. And last Sunday night was really, really strong. Uh, but what I want to do now is I want to ask if you would join, and you can, you can or can't, it's your choice, but pray about it, join what we call the GPC Prayer Force. And that is where you commit to praying 30 minutes every day for me and the leadership of our church, for this congregation, for the Global Harvest and for current issues that I will uh, send to you every week. I'll do a video, a real short video, that encourages you in prayer, but um, as well to give you current things that we can pray about as a congregation. But I tell you, a praying church is a vibrant church. We win in the spirit first. We win our battles spiritually first in prayer, and then we reap the rewards in the natural. And so um, I want to see more salvations in our church. I want to see more physical healings in our church. I want to see more deliverance in our church. So does Jesus. And he said, my house should be called a house of? That's right. So we do preaching good. We do praying good. We need uh, preaching and praising good. We need to do praying better. So if you will either go to our website right now and uh, you can, you can, well, you can go to our, our prayer page and you can sign up. Let's do this. You can... Go to info, I-N-F-O, info at gatheringplacechurch.org, and you can just say um, GPC Prayer Force. If you want to be part of this prayer force, and uh, I really appreciate it. I want my wife and my kids and I prayed for. I want Mark and Shelly prayed for. I want Jan prayed for. I want Mike, our youth pastor, and Aurelia prayed for. I want Josh and Daryl and their kids prayed for. I want Julie and Jesse, who's leading worship. Julie's our children's minister, prayed for. I want Stephanie who's over emissions, and Jerry prayed for. I mean, you know, the, the, the enemy likes to take out leadership. And when he does, then it weakens the kingdom of God. So uh, I pray you'll join that. But right now, let's get into the Word of God. Amen? Jesus, thank you so much for the Bible. Thank you, Lord. We are not arguing about it here in this church. We love it. We, we know how privileged we are to have the Word of God. 
We thank you, Lord, that your word empowers us, strengthens us, saves, heals, and delivers us. We all ask this morning that you illuminate our minds and our hearts to the truth. Holy Spirit, Spirit of truth, lead and guide us into all the truth today. Draw us closer to Jesus. And everybody said, Amen. So, today we're in John chapter 10. We're going through the book of John. So I pray you're reading the book of John. And uh, for those of you that are watching online or listening, I pray you get into the book of John and let the Holy Spirit draw you closer to Jesus. So, in the book of John chapter 10, we deal once again with Jesus coming against religion. Have you noticed in every chapter we're dealing with Jesus confronting religion? It's a pervasive problem in the earth. You see, religion is man trying to reach God. Every religion on the planet is man trying to find a way to reach God. And it's usually through our good works. Christianity is God reaching down to us. So when we are not living by the grace of God, which is there was no hope for us, so God reached down and picked us up. When you're not living by grace, the only other option is to live by works and performance. So when you build a structure and a system where works is the embodiment of that system, then you will end up with abusive leadership. Because when leadership is in a system that's based on works, shame and fear and intimidation is the motivation and the operation of that system. Authority is a big issue in the earth, isn't it? Authority. It's the biggest test for us on earth is submitting to authority. We hate it. Don't we? Anybody? Anybody? Okay. I got a bunch of liars this morning, Jesus. Look at them. We do not like being told what to do. We love our independence. That's like when people get married. You know, it's, it's funny. I see him in church. I see, you know, somebody's worshiping Jesus, you know, and then all of a sudden a cute girl, you know, visits the church. And all of a sudden the guy who was doing this is now doing this. One eye on Jesus and one eye looking over here. Right? You got one arm up. And then you see them kind of sitting next to each other, right? And then, of course, they get engaged and they're all giggly and they don't hear anything you say. Then they go on their honeymoon and then they come back and they're like this. It's like, what happened? Well, that's called the adjustment period. Now you're sharing the bed, which means you share the sheets. And you share, if you have, oh, hey, if you have a one sink bathroom, forget it. Just go ahead and throw in the towel or remodel and get two sinks. That is the key to a happy marriage. You know that, right? Unless you have three daughters who decide that your bathroom is theirs. I share my bathroom now with four women. They have their own bathrooms upstairs. I don't get it, but whatever. I love them. Where was I? Oh, yeah, authority. When people are in a place of authority... It's easy for them to take advantage of, intimidate, and use and abuse those under them. We've seen this recently in Hollywood with producers. 
Uh, It's easy for bosses, professors, coaches, parents, and God forbid, pastors to control, use people. But it happens. It's part of life. And it is life-altering. What happens is it causes us to be more protective than we've ever been created by God to be. Well, we begin to guard ourselves because once you've been burnt, you don't want to get burnt again. And so the next time you go into a relationship where somebody has authority over you, you're very cautious and you're very guarded until they earn your trust. One of the things it does when you have been used or abused or mishandled is it causes you to have a very difficult time with intimacy. Because intimacy is into me see. That means you're completely vulnerable. And the only way you can do that is if you trust implicitly the person who has authority over you. And so what happens is when when that person takes advantage of your position or their position, should I say, it causes you to have a very difficult time with intimacy. It takes you a lot longer to trust people and let people in. And this translates, unfortunately, over into your relationship with God, especially if the person that took advantage of you or used or abused you was a parent or a pastor because they are in a place where they are representing the Father God to you and to I. But, 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 thank God for Jesus. Amen. Because Jesus can heal the whole mess. Jesus, when you invite Jesus into your heart, into your soul, the shepherd of your soul fills you with his Holy Spirit. and He begins to repair all those places. It doesn't happen overnight, but it starts happening immediately. The Apostle Paul wrote to the Philippian church, I thank God for you. I make mention of you every day in my prayers. He says that God who began a good work in you will continue that good work until Jesus returns. See, God's on the inside repairing us and restoring us. But relationships hurt us. Relationships also heal us. Jesus is the primary relationship that begins the healing process. Then he will bring other people into your life that are safe people so you can learn how to trust again and rebuild your life. Now, some of you think that our faith in Jesus is just silliness, that it's a figment of our imagination, that we're just trying to pacify ourselves with Jesus. Like Karl Marx said, he coined the phrase that religion is the opium of the people. It's the drug of the people. He literally was writing about poor people who have no hope, and so religion salves their conscience and makes them feel good that this life is temporary and the other life is eternal, and so we wait for that eternal life. What I want to say to those who believe that what we believe, which is that Jesus is the Savior, the Son of God, and He can heal every wound inside of your soul, all I want to say to those who don't believe that is, you just haven't met Him yet. That's all. It doesn't make you less of a person. It doesn't make those who follow Jesus more of a person. It's not about better or worse. It's just you've either met Him or you haven't. And once you meet him, you've met the safest leader on the planet. In fact, I, like, I, I believe that coaches and professors and bosses and teachers and parents are all shepherds. I, when I talk to the principals here in the PUSD, Powell Unified School District, when I sit around a round table with, with the principals and there's just six or seven of us, I've said to them, you guys are shepherds. You guys are pastors. 
You guys are shepherding 3,000 teenagers and their parents. And so Jesus runs into, once again, the shepherds of Israel. And here is the good shepherd who runs into abusive shepherds, abusive leaders. And he, once again, has to tell them what a good shepherd looks like. So what I want to do this week is because Mark Myers did such a brilliant job with his oratory skills last week reading John chapter 9. I've asked him to read John chapter 10 this morning. So let's welcome Mark Myers. Well, start over. Can we have some sound over here? Everybody turn back to the sound and just reach your hands out like this. There you go. I didn't let him know which mic Mark was going to use. Just wait to say test, test, or Jesus, test. Jesus, the good shepherd. There we go. John chapter 10. Here we go. I tell you the truth. Anyone who sneaks over the wall of a sheepfold rather than going through the gate must surely be a thief and a robber. But the one who enters through the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him, and the sheep recognize his voice and come to him. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. After he has gathered his own flock, he walks ahead of them, and they follow him because they know his voice. They won't follow a stranger. They will run from him because they don't know his voice. Mm -hmm. Those who heard Jesus use this illustration didn't understand what he meant, so he explained it to them. I tell you the truth. I am the gate for the sheep. All who came before me were thieves and robbers, but the true sheep did not listen to them. Yes, I am the gate. Those who come in through me will be saved. They will come and go freely and will find good pastures. The thief's purpose is to steal and kill and destroy. My purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd sacrifices his life for the sheep. A hired hand will run when he sees a wolf coming. He will abandon the sheep because they don't belong to him and he isn't their shepherd. And so the wolf attacks them and scatters the flock. The hired hand runs away because he's only working for the money and doesn't really care about the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own sheep and they know me. Just as my Father knows me and I know the Father, so I sacrifice my life for the sheep. I have other sheep, too, that are not in this sheepfold. I must bring them also. They will listen to my voice, and there will be one flock with one shepherd. The Father loves me because I sacrifice my life so that I may take it back again. No one can take my life from me. I sacrifice it voluntarily, for I have the authority to lay it down when I want to and also to take it up again, for this is what my Father has commanded. When he said these things, the people were again divided in their opinions about him. Some said, he's demon-possessed and out of his mind. Why listen to a man like that? Others said, this doesn't sound like a man possessed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? 
It was now winter, and Jesus was in Jerusalem at the time of Hanukkah, the festival of dedication. He was in the temple walking through the section known as Solomon's Colonnade. The people surrounded him and asked, How long are you going to keep us in suspense? If you are the Messiah, tell us plainly. Jesus replied, I have already told you, and you don't believe me. The proof is the work I do in my Father's name. But if you don't believe me, because, but you don't believe me because you are not my sheep. My sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish. No one can snatch them away from me for my father has given them to me. And he is more powerful than anyone else. No one can snatch them from the father's hand. The father and I are one. Once again, the people picked up stones to kill him. Jesus said, at my father's direction, I have done many good works. For which one are you going to stone me? They replied, we're not stoning you for any good work, but for blasphemy. You, a mere man, claim to be God. Jesus replied, it is written in your own scripture that God said to certain leaders of the people, I say you are gods. And you know that the scripture cannot be altered. So if those people who received God's message were called gods... Why do you call it blasphemy when I say I am the son of God? After all, the father set me apart and sent me into the world. Don't believe me unless I carry out my father's work. But if I do his work, believe in the evidence of the miraculous works I have done. Even if you don't believe me, then you will know and understand that the father is in me and I am in the father. Once again, they tried to arrest him, but he got away and left them. He went beyond the Jordan River near the place where John was first baptizing and stayed there a while, and many followed him. John didn't perform miraculous signs, they remarked to one another, but everything he said about this man has come true, and many who were there believed in Jesus. So what did Jesus say about himself? I am the good shepherd. There are three differences that I want to point out today between good leaders and abusive leaders. The good shepherd Jesus and the abusive shepherds of his day. So let's hit these three. You guys ready? Here's three signs of good leaders. Now, if you're in leadership, pay attention to these. These are really important. And if you're following a leader, which all of us are, we have to recognize healthy signs and unhealthy signs about leaders. This applies across the board. Number one, Jesus cares about you. This is the first sign of a healthy leader, that they truly care about you. Abusive leaders do not care about you at all. They only care about their power, their position, their promotion, and their personal agenda. They use people for their own promotion. But Jesus, on the other hand, is completely others-centered. Think about it. Philippians chapter 2 tells us this. That Jesus, who once again called himself God in this chapter, so there it is once again, right there on the face of the scriptures. Jesus, who is God, left heaven and came down to the earth into this sin-soaked, sick place. Why? For himself? Not at all. The only purpose for him to come down into this place 
was for you and me. He is completely others-centered. Everything he does, every motivation in his heart, every action, every word, everything he does is for the betterment of those around him. This is the first sign of a healthy leader, that they care about the people that are following them, not their own personal agenda. Now, of course, in spiritual matters, this is the most prevalent because spiritual leaders are supposed to be representing Jesus, the good shepherd, to those who follow them. That's why spiritual abuse is one of the worst kinds of abuse. I was spiritually abused, and it's horrific. And it takes quite a while to recover from that. But as I told you the head of this, this, this message, Jesus can heal anything. In fact, when I pioneered this church, I'll, I'll tell you briefly. After the, the, my, my senior pastor, I, I keep backing up in my head. Where do you start this story? So I joined this church when there was 100 people. And they asked me to be the youth pastor. And with the, my anointing and personality and skill set, I took that youth group from 10 down to 1. And then over the next decade, it grew to about 2,000. And it was the largest charismatic church in San Diego. It was vibrant. It was awesome. It was holy. Blood of Jesus. Presence of God. Faith. You know, Jesus, the only way. The cross. The death, resurrection. Just basic power ministry. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Then another pastor came in and took over the church. And he was a man of the flesh, unfortunately. And he, the church just crumbled because he was in sin. And um, the way that he handled his staff was, uh, well, he was selfish, bottom line. He cared about himself, and he did not care about the people he was pastoring or his staff. And so the, the, the church dismantled. Um, the Lord actually told me to go on a year sabbatical, which I did. And during that year sabbatical, where my house was, I would walk down to the end of the street, and I would sit on a rock, and I could see the church building right there in the horizon of my vision. And every day I would sit on a rock and I would forgive. And it took a matter of months of me sitting on that rock every day to release and let go and forgive. And as I was sitting on that rock one day and I felt this complete release, because you've got to clean that bitterness out of your heart or you're just going to live sick and you're going to pollute everyone around you. And I knew that. I knew I have to get healed from this, this injustice and abuse. And when I felt the healing come to a level that I felt was I wouldn't hurt people. The Lord spoke to me about pioneering a church and he said the first anointing I'm going to put in that place is healing from spiritual abuse. And we have seen more people come to this this church. Pastors who never intended to pastor again launch back into ministry. People who said they'd never darken the door of a church again coming in and they come alive within the matter of 30, 60 days. They're back in ministry and God restores them. It's, it's nothing we technically are doing. It is just the grace, the mercy. The, we care about people, if I can say it that way. In fact, one of, the, one of the verses, one of the mottos we have here at the Gathering Place Church is we do not use people to build ministries. We use ministries to build people. Now, God's shepherds at a certain time in history were abusing his people. And God doesn't like it. 
Let's look at Ezekiel chapter 34, verse 1 through 5, and see what God says the spiritual leaders who only care about themselves and not about his people. Ezekiel chapter 34, verse 1 through 5. And the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, prophesy against the pastors, the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, Thus says the Lord God to the shepherds, Woe to the shepherds of Israel who feed themselves. Should not the shepherds feed the flocks? You eat the fat and clothe yourselves with the wool. You slaughter the fatlings, but you do not feed the flock. The weak you have not strengthened, nor have you healed those who are sick, nor bound up the broken, nor brought back what was driven away, nor sought what was lost, but with force and cruelty you have ruled them. So they were scattered because there was no shepherd, and they became food for all the beasts of the field when they were scattered. Then the chapter goes on. With God saying, I am going to go get my sheep myself. That's how much God loves us. When he has leaders that are abusing people, he removes them and he comes and he either places the healthy leader in there or he sovereignly brings his leadership into our lives to bring that healing. What did Jesus say about himself again? I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd sacrifices his life for the sheep. Jesus uses this word sacrifice over and over and over in this passage. This is one of the main characteristics of a healthy, safe leader is they sacrifice themselves for those who are following them. Jesus sacrificed himself all the time. His time, his energy, his wealth, his reputation. Think about a couple examples. The woman at the well. I mean, first of all, Jesus is in Jerusalem and he's going to do a, he says, we have to go to Samaria. Samaria, now we've already looked at John chapter 4. You can read that or study it out. Samaria, Jews do not go to Samaria. Samaria is a polluted land with a polluted people with a polluted religion. They are worse than dogs in the mind of a Jew. And Jesus, the rabbi, says, I need to go to Samaria. I mean, you can imagine Peter, James, and John, all these guys that are following Jesus going, we didn't sign up for this. Oh, no. No way. I'm not related to that person. They're the wrong political party. Oh, I just thought I'd bring it home today. They're demons. Every last one of them. Really? Really? Every one of them. Every one of them. I will say, by the way, that is the problem. In our nation right now. Demonizing one another. There are idiots on both sides. But they are not the majority. You see that whenever we have a crisis. You see the goodness of people come to the surface. I do not believe that every Republican, every Democrat, because those are the two main parties. I do not believe they're evil people. I think when you look through that lens and you behave through that lens, you're going to miss God every single time. I believe most, most are good-hearted people trying to do the right thing. There's just two different ways of seeing it and doing it. Then there are people who are moronic, racist, hateful idiots that need Jesus more than the most of us. That's it right there. Amen? Okay, so... If Jesus was a Republican, he would say, I need to go to the Democratic National Convention. 
or if he was a Democrat. I need to go to the Republican National Convention. Why? Right? I'm just trying to paint a picture for you just so you can feel where they're headed and what they're doing. And he's going to go be alone with a woman in the middle of the day. A Jewish man alone with a woman, a woman who in public, well, actually ended up being in private, who has had five husbands. And the woman she's living with, the man she's living with is not her husband. And it says that Jesus was weary from his journey. Do you know from Jerusalem to Samaria is a 22-hour walk? He was weary. He gave his time. He gave his energy. And he sacrificed his reputation for one sheep. But she met the safest leader on earth, and her life was completely transformed. Her dignity was restored, and her purpose was found, and she bore more fruit in one day than most of us will bear in a lifetime. Because the good shepherd found a lost sheep that everybody else thought was a throwaway human being. Man, Jesus. You know, I think about the time that Jesus' cousin John was beheaded. And Jesus says, I just need to get away. He's grieving. But then he comes out from his prayer time and sees a multitude of people that have needs. And says he had compassion on them and healed them all. He was trying to get away from the crowd so he could grieve the loss of his cousin, the murder of his cousin. And yet, when there was need in front of him, he sacrificed himself. It's just who he is. This is what Jesus said in John chapter 10. We quote this verse, by the way, and we refer to the devil when we quote it. And the devil is behind all evil. But Jesus is actually here talking about abusive leadership. And he says this about them. The thief's purpose, their motivation is to kill, steal, and destroy. My purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. That's Jesus' entire purpose in your and my life, is to give us a rich and satisfying life on this side of heaven and the next. So, I remember one time I had a dream, and it was me sitting around the table with my kids, my family, and I was doing a Bible study, and the Bible study was be others centered it's the only time god's ever given me a dream to and tell them exactly what to teach my kids so it must be pretty darn important huh jesus said this about you and i that if we want our joy to be full love one another the same way he loves us and then he says no greater love does someone have than this to lay his or her life down for his or her friends. That's your time, your energy, your money, maybe even your reputation for one another. John says this, if he died for us, ought not we die for one another. That's what Christianity is supposed to look like. And I want to say something. That goes beyond political lines. Thank you very much. If it doesn't, we're no better than those who are not following Jesus. Can I hear another amen? Oh, that was so weak. Darn it. I thought I was going to get a 
Good amen on that one. Well, we got a little work to do, don't we? Okay. One, a good leader cares about you as an individual. Secondly, Jesus knows you. A good leader comes to a place where they know you. They understand you. They know your likes, your dislikes, your weaknesses, your strengths, your fears, your hopes, your joys. A good leader truly gets to know their employees, their students, their parishioners, their teammates. I was sitting next to a coach yesterday at my, my sister, my, my sister, my daughter's, getting them all confused, my daughter's volleyball tournament. And there was a coach of a, of a different sport sitting next to him and his daughter, my daughter on the same team. And he's watching the way that the coach is doing what he's doing. And he was so angry because he was leaving a younger player on the court that was making all sorts of mistakes. And he says, I can see her confidence crumbling right now. He needs to remove her for her sake. He wasn't thinking about winning. He was thinking about the person on the court. He's going to ruin her, her, her confidence for maybe years to come. And she was like, uh, you know, deer in the headlights. And they kept losing points because of her. And he was getting so angry. I was thinking, wow, he actually cares about the individual player, not just winning. That's a good shepherd. That's a good leader. A good leader knows you. They know you by name. And listen, when a shepherd truly or when a follower truly knows that the leader is safe, you come to a place where you trust them so much that you listen for their voice and you know their voice. You know, in that same environment yesterday at this volleyball tournament, there's about three, 400 people there. There are eight courts indoor with refs and whistles and a whole bunch of high school girls and all their crazy parents and everybody is shouting and whistling all at the same time. It's a murderous atmosphere. Mark, you would come out of that environment shaking for about a year, okay? But when you live in a household like mine, it's normal, okay? So it doesn't bother me at all. But the amazing thing to me, Mark only visits our house like once a year, and he stays for about 15 minutes. (laughs) I remember I used to call my sister on the phone when I had no kids, and she'd be on the phone, and all the noise in the background, right? And then she'd be interrupting, you know, she'd be like, well, hang on a minute. And a baby in her arm, and your ears are going, oh, and she, okay. And then she go back. I say, hey, sis, love you. Got to go click, right? You can't handle it. Now I'm like, oh, that's music to my ears. Kids, it's great. That's what a volleyball tournament sounds like is my point. And I'm in the midst of this and I'm walking through this crowd. We're shoulder to shoulder and people yelling and screaming and whistles and stuff. And all of a sudden I hear this teenage girl who's one of the players say, father. And one guy turns around. I thought, how in the world did that father discern his daughter's voice out of all the other clamor going on? That's the relationship between a shepherd and a sheep. In fact, did you know that sheep will only respond to their shepherd's voice, like in real life, like in real shepherding? Did you know that? In fact, I want to show you this test. Look at this video. I want to show you something. Ha, ha, ha. 
more time. That's what it's like when we learn the voice of Jesus. When we stop listening to those shaming voices, those critical voices in your head, those self-hate voices. That's never the voice of Jesus. Don't follow those voices. Learn the voice of the good shepherd. He is safe. And he knows your name. You're his sheep. Do you know that shepherds know they name every one of their sheep. Do, do you know, by the way, that sheep are the dumbest animals on earth? They, they will graze right off a cliff. Do you know that when Jesus calls a sheep, it's not a compliment? You know that, right? That's why it is so important for us to learn his voice. You see, Jesus knows you and I by name. Do you know Mark did this prophetic uh, test one time where he teaches people how to hear the voice of God. It's the workshop he does. And what he does is he has you pair up with somebody you don't know in the room. And then you go off in a corner and you try to you see what God might say to you for them. And then you practice. You say, I think this is what the Lord is saying to me for you. And these two guys who'd never met each other were standing off there in the corner. And he says, I only get one word. What is it? And he says a name like Mark. He says, does that mean anything to you? He goes, yeah, that's my name. And then the guy goes, the other guy goes, I only have one word for you. And he said, what is it? I'm guessing the name. He said, John. I'll just use our names. He goes, that mean anything to you? He goes, yeah, that's my name. Is that incredible? You say, well, what's so big about that? Seriously? That God would give each person the other person's first name? That is a shepherd letting them know, I know my sheep by name. Isn't that beautiful? You know, there was a storm that took place, and all these sheep were out in this storm. And so they all, this is a true story, so they all ran into a cave for shelter. And so there were three flocks in the same cave. When the storm passed, the three shepherds all were out in the field, and they each 
called their sheep by name. And the sheep all came out and they all separated and went to their separate shepherd. I do this with my kids. We'll be out in the middle of the, we'll be at the mall. We'll be like at a tournament. We'll be, I'll be picking them up from school and there's like, you know, 3,000 students out there or whatever. I need them. Seriously. All I do is this. Excuse me. I just go like that. And nobody turns around with my kids. They go like this and they start heading through the car. I got them trained with a whistle by a whistle. Listen, I do a parenting course. I can teach you how to do this. And they obey me every time. The first time I say whatever I say, they do it exactly when I say it, just how I say to do it, when I say to do it. It's amazing. For those of you that are visiting, now you've just found the perfect church because you just ran into the perfect leader. Some of these people who are laughing know my children, I guess. Okay. John chapter 10, verse 3, Jesus says this, The gatekeeper opens the gate for him, and the sheep recognize his voice and come to him. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. Isn't that beautiful? When Jesus first met Peter, he told him his name. Nobody introduced Jesus to Peter. Jesus said, your name is Peter, and your, John, and your dad's name is John. That's pretty incredible. I, if somebody comes up to you and says, I know, uh, let me tell you what your name is. Let me tell you the name of your dad. It's like, whoa, what? Huh? You've been on Facebook. And he says, your name is Simon, which means a, we, a, a reed that is easily blown to and fro in the wind, meaning he's fickle and he's uncommittal and he can just be blown around with whatever pressure hits him. And we see that in Peter's life when you read the Gospels. He's impetuous, he's prideful, he's impatient. Jesus knows you. He knows your name. He knows your weaknesses. He knows your sins. He knows your sufferings. And he loves you. You are his. He loves you just like you are. But he's not going to leave you just like you are because he loves you too much. That's why he says to Peter, your name is Simon, but it's going to be Rocky. That's what Petros means. He says, your name is Simon, but it's going to be Peter, which means Petros, which means solid. And when Peter had a revelation that Jesus is the son of God. Jesus turned to him and said, now I'm going to start calling you Rocky. You're starting to change. A revelation of me as the good shepherd, as the son of God, as your leader is starting to make you solid. And it's reshaping you into who God created you to be in the very first place. And then you look at the end of Peter's life. He is steadfast, immovable, unshakable. And even uh, even when he initially uh, denied even knowing Jesus... At Jesus' darkest hour, at the end of his life, he gave himself over to be martyred and crucified upside down. And if you notice, his letters are all about submission to authority. Isn't that amazing? Peter had come to the place where he was so submitted to the good shepherd that he could even submit himself to unrighteous authority. And not be afraid because Jesus was going to take care of him. I've had to do that more than once 
being really scared about the leadership I was under. And I would go to Jesus and he would say, you just stay right there. Even when I was mishandled, Jesus said, stay right there. Think about King David under Saul's leadership. God saw it. He knew it was coming. I remember when I was headed into this new leadership, uh, somebody who's going to be our new leader. Everybody around me said, don't trust that guy. Don't trust him. You can't trust him. Even my mom called and said, I listened to one of his sermons. I don't trust that guy. They were all right. He wasn't to be trusted. And Jesus said, you just stay right there. It was really painful. Came out on the other side. I had stuff that I couldn't have gotten any other way. This is the way I say it. Forgive me for being so crass. I've learned how to reach into poop and pull out the gold. That's just some, you know, the earth is messy. You know that, right? You know, it's an unsafe, unfair, messy, dirty place, right? That's why we have to follow the voice of our shepherd, even if it's through the valley of the shadow of death. The other side is a banquet table. In the presence of our enemies. Jesus is so safe. But Jesus not only knows you and your weaknesses, you know, he's so safe. You know, there's things Jesus knows about you nobody else knows, right? Right? There are things that you tell Jesus you will never tell anybody else. Is that true? Is that right? That's right. Because he's Jesus. We can trust him to forgive when others might not, right? (laughs) Right? How many of you know he's a good shepherd? The good shepherd. You know he's the good shepherd, right? You know what I'm talking about. He is so doggone safe. I would have gotten rid of me a long time ago if I was the Savior of the world. You would have gotten rid of you too, right? You would have got, How long ago would you have given up on yourself if you were the Savior? Go ahead and, what, a week, two weeks into it? How, how long would you have put up with yourself? Come on. Just throw, just throw something out at me, and I'll move on. You would... Wow! Do you understand the question? I wouldn't have put up with myself for more than a few days, I promise you. He is so faithful. But here's what's beautiful about Jesus. He not only sees you and all your weaknesses as his sheep, but he also sees what you're going to be like when he's done with you. He's the master craftsman these leaders that jesus was confronting they didn't care about anybody but themselves they didn't care about the woman caught in adultery that we looked at they didn't care about her at all they just wanted to use her and stone her to trap jesus didn't care about the guy we looked at last week mark did a brilliant message last week the blind man isn't that amazing they could care less that he had a miracle where he was blind his whole life and now he can see and they didn't even care. All they cared about was who did it and how can we control them. And they couldn't, so they killed him. Jesus cares about you. You know the phrase, people don't care how much you know till they know how much you care. 
Jesus knows you by name. And thirdly and finally, only Jesus can save you. You see, the religious system that these people were trapped in at the time told them that for you to have salvation, you must be part of our club. You must be in our synagogue. That's why being cast out of the temple, being cast out of the synagogue was a death sentence. You lose all your friends. You know, you're in a small town. There's only one church. There's only one temple, one synagogue. And sometimes they're so small, they don't even have one, so they have to go to the next town. There's only one. So you're stuck with that, with that rabbi or with the priest of that diocese. You're stuck with that church, that priest, or that rabbi. That is where you go. And you get excommunicated, which is always the threat, right? That's always the threat. That's the fear and intimidation. They have the power to excommunicate you, which means you lose your whole social world. And in some religions, you lose your education. You lose your, you're not going to get a job anywhere in that town. You lose everything. So when this guy, you know, that's why this blind man, last week we looked at in John 9, the blind man, when the, when the religious leaders called for his parents, the parents already knew that they were, the, the, the rabbis already said, the Pharisees said, we will, anybody who believes in Jesus will be excommunicated. That means you're walking down the street of your town. It's a very small place and nobody's allowed to talk to you. You don't have any friends. You have nowhere to go. You can't go to church anymore down there. What are you going to do? And so the parents, knowing that anybody who believes in Jesus gets excommunicated, said, hey, ask our son. He's old enough to talk for himself. And they just distance themselves from their own son. I was raised in a religion that they still teach to this day, that unless you are in their religion, you do not go to heaven. And even when you're in the religion, you still don't know if you're going to heaven. It's a crapshoot, man. I mean, we'll see what happens at the end. Like, wow. And they're using the Bible, the book of hope, to give us that message. Okay, I'm not angry. <laughs> I'm not angry. I actually am, by the way, if you can't tell. I'm lying to you right now. It made me angry for a long time. Because when your family for generations is trapped in a religion that is selling you control and manipulation and fear and not even giving you the promise of salvation when the very book they're using promises you salvation? After I got saved, after about five years in ministry, somebody actually came up to me and said, you know, your anger, your anger at the church, the religion you came out of kind of comes through when you preach. I said, like, oh, really? My slip is showing. So I hope I'm doing better after 35 years. But religion makes me really angry. In fact, one time I went to Russia on a missions trip, and we go into these amazing, amazing cathedrals. And, you know, people going through these lines, you know, and these things, the paintings and the, all the, the extravagance of these, of these it was a, a day, you know, you go on tours during the day. Like when you're on a mission trip, there's a day set aside that you get to go tour all the museums and stuff. We're going through all these cathedrals. And it's like, wow, wow. They're just all amazed. And I looked, and all of a sudden, there was a special room in the back where the communion was. And there was a rope that you can't go back there. Now, I was raised in that. And I know that the curtain and the rent, the, the curtain has been rent and... And, and, and I know that our high priest, the good shepherd, has gone back to the communion table and said, Hey, anybody 
wants to. Come and eat. And they put the rope back up. I was so angry. I didn't take any pictures. I don't want to take pictures of that place. I was so mad. I wanted to go. I almost did it, Mark. I almost did it. I wanted to go, and I wanted to take that rope like in a movie theater. You know, you got the poles of the rope. I wanted to chuck it aside and go back there and say, in Jesus' name, anybody who wants to come back. But I was in Russia. And I didn't want to stay there. I was so mad. Religion makes me mad. It makes me angry because its purpose isn't salvation. Our purpose as spiritual leaders for you is to point you to Jesus, not to us. We want to help you walk with Jesus. That's our whole purpose in life and how to love one another. Jesus says this in John 10, 9. We're going to close with this. Yes, I am the gate. Those who come in through me will be saved. The Bible says there is no other name under heaven by which anyone can be saved but the name of Jesus. He is the good shepherd. Jesus said this, anyone else who's come before me and doesn't come through me are thieves and robbers. Jesus said that. There's only one spiritual leader who has ever been on the planet that can offer you salvation. Period. End of story. I remember when Hope worked in Del Mar. There was somebody who used to go down to the Realization Temple down there all the time. He was a lawyer. Sorry, Mark, one of your colleagues. And uh, he, uh, he would come, came into work and he engaged in this conversation with my wife. And uh, he, was, he said to her, you know, down there at the Realization Temple, down there in Encinitas, you guys know what I'm talking about. The pink building with the big round Hale-Bopp Comet thing on top. And, um, and so he said, you know, they've got a picture of this person and a picture of this person. They've got Jesus right in the middle. I mean, Jesus is in the mix. And Hope, at that time, I had her nice southern drawl. And she said, Jesus does not want to be in the mix. She looked at him and smiled real sweet. Just, <clears throat> all right. Jesus does not want to be in the mix because he is God. And he came down here into the earth to save us. And there's no other name under heaven by which you can be saved, but by Jesus Christ, the Son of the living God. Let me close your eyes real quick with me. Will you come to the shepherd this morning? Just come to him. Some of you have fears. You've been abused. You've been misused. You've been mishandled. And you're afraid and fearful. And believe it or not, it's affecting your relationship with Jesus. And he is your shepherd who calls you in the field. And he's calling you to himself. You can trust him. I know that sounds cheap, but it's really, really true. You say, where was he when that happened to me? He was there. Why didn't he stop it? He's not going to stop all evil on the earth until the end. And so what does he do in the meantime? He heals us. He walks through really, really, really hard things with us. And he leads us to greener pastures. You know, in Psalm 23, it says, He makes me 
lie down. We don't know how to lie down. We don't know how to slow down. So Jesus, our shepherd, will come and he will help us to lie down in green pastures. He will lead you by still waters. And he will restore your soul. Will you come to him this morning? It's right there where you are. Maybe you're one of his sheep already, but you're keeping a safe distance. Maybe you think, maybe your sin shames you. Let him do what the shepherds do with sheep and take that, anoint, that, that oil and they rub it on the wounds on the head of the sheep. That be, they beat their head against the wall because they get these parasites up in their nostrils and they can't get them out. And because the sheep goes places he shouldn't go and he gets involved in things he shouldn't get involved in so he starts beating his head against the wall to try to loosen up these parasites up in his nasal passages and the shepherd comes and holds him and rubs his oil on the wounds and gets the parasites out he understands your weaknesses he understands why you're addicted to certain things and he can heal you I ask that you come to Jesus this morning as one of his sheep, vulnerable and completely trusting. And to say, Jesus, I'm coming to you. And I'm asking you to heal my soul and take me through the valley of the shadow of death to a banquet table. Some of you this morning have never come to Jesus and he's been talking to you and calling you all morning long and he wants to forgive you of your sins he wants to open the gate of heaven for you it's a free gift he paid for it for you because you cannot pay for it yourself you can never ever earn forgiveness it has to be a free gift through jesus and he wants you to come to him today if that's you will you raise your hand right where you are and say i'm i'm coming to jesus for the first time today I need my sins forgiven. And I'm giving my life to him. If that's you, will you raise your hand? Anybody come to Jesus for the first time today? The good shepherd. Okay. Everybody look up at me again for a second. Don't you love him? Don't you love him? So we're going to have a water baptism in November. Some of you have come to Jesus recently, and we're going to water baptize right here in the pool uh, in a, about a month from now. So if you've never been water baptized, that's your next step after you give your life to Christ. Sprinkling as a baby, I got that. It didn't do anything, sorry. It's not in the Bible. But once you're an adult and you give your life to Christ, a public profession that you have come to Jesus is your next step. And that is where you're completely submerged underwater, which represents you dying to your old life, just like Jesus died. When he rose from the dead, you come up out of the water and you're being risen to a brand new spiritual life. Very important that you do that. So we'll be doing that in about a month or so. so. Amen. Sure do love you guys.
good people. And Jesus is doing a great work in us all. The prayer team's come down front, and uh, there are some people in here that I, 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 I saw wiping tears, and God's doing a work in you this morning. This was a surgery for you. And, um, you know, the Bible says this. It's a great promise. The Bible says, confess your weaknesses one to another. That's, that's called humility and vulnerability. And God gives grace to the humble. His grace flows through humility. It says, confess your weaknesses to one to another and then pray for one another that you may be healed. It's a supernatural grace that Jesus has given to the church that releases heaven on earth. You can expedite your healing if you come up here and say, whatever it is that happened. Just by sharing that and then them praying for you, the presence of Jesus is going to come upon you and start doing a healing work that you really, really need. So I'm going to encourage you to be courageous. And I know these people down here. They're good people. And they'll pray with you. Amen. Let's all stand. I pray this week that you hear the voice of your shepherd and that you will not follow the voice of a stranger because Jesus is the good shepherd. God bless you guys. I'll see you next week.